From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. The presidential primary in Colorado is March 5th, and ballots go out today. Everything you need to know about a process that means many Coloradans will receive two ballots in the mail. Unaffiliated can take part in either the Republican or Democratic primary, but not both. Meanwhile, the Supreme Court Trump question looms how that'll affect things. Then, how a community feels about its poorest residents, including those without homes, shapes its housing policy, or lack thereof. Lots of people say, well, we really need to do something to help people experiencing homelessness, but for God's sake, don't do it in my backyard. And so how do we get past that? How do we get to some of the underlying fears and address those? Plus, we'll taste some local king cake. In contrast to other news outlets, you may have noticed that CPR does not accept political ads. So instead of tuning out to get away from those ads, CPR listeners continue to tune in for facts and well-informed discussions. And when your business sponsors Colorado Public Radio during an election season, you can be sure your message will be heard above the noise. Learn more about the impact of sponsorship on the support page at CPR.org. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Ryan Warner. Ballots soon hit mailboxes for Colorado's presidential primary, March 5th. Maybe you have questions. We definitely have answers, thanks to CPR's Stephanie Rivera. Hi, Steph. Hello. Where should we start? Well, you should know that you don't have to opt in to participate. As long as you're a registered voter, you'll receive a mail-in ballot. In fact, a lot of people will be getting two ballots, which I'll explain in a minute. Okay. Perhaps the most important thing to know is there's only one race being decided. That's president of the United States. The primary for the other offices, like Congress, isn't until late June. Okay, so several primaries to come. What does it mean if you're a Democrat, a Republican, or unaffiliated? Break this down for us. So if you're a Democrat, you're only going to get a ballot with Democratic candidates to choose from. There are nine options listed, including current President Joe Biden. If you're a Republican, you'll only see Republican candidates. And there are nine names in that primary as well. Ah, nine and nine. Okay. And if you're unaffiliated, which is the largest voting bloc in the state, you'll receive both Democrat and Republican ballots, but you can only fill out and return one for your vote to count. That's the biggest thing for unaffiliated voters to remember. You have to pick one. Pick one only. And I should note, none of the minor parties are holding primaries in Colorado this year, so members of those parties won't get a ballot in the mail. Those are the Libertarians, the Green Party folks. I just want to say, if you're unaffiliated, the ballot you send in is public information. So it is knowable whether you choose the Republican ballot or the Democratic ballot, although whom you vote for is not public. When it comes to the Republican primary ballot, the elephant in the room, as it were, is the U.S. Supreme Court. Justices are deliberating on a Colorado case whether Donald Trump can run or if he's disqualified as an insurrectionist. Is his name one of the nine on the GOP ballot? It is. The state Supreme Court ruled Trump ineligible back in December, But they also said if the case wasn't fully settled by the time the ballot had to be set, Trump's name must appear on it. And so he is an option for voters on their ballots. What should voters know if they choose him? Again, that would be Republicans 
and unaffiliateds who send in the Republican ballot. Know that it's not really settled yet whether votes for him will be counted. We expect a decision from the Supreme Court soon. If justices agree with the Colorado Supreme Court, then any votes for Trump will be excluded. But if they rule that the Colorado court was wrong to disqualify Trump and the arguments last week made it sound like that's the direction they're going, Hmm. then votes for him will be counted, just like for any candidate. Is there anything else voters should know about the Republican ballot? Yes. As other states have been holding their primaries, many Republican candidates have dropped out of the presidential race along the way. Right. But their names are still on Colorado's GOP ballot. So voters could fill in the bubble for, you know, Ron DeSantis or Chris Christie, but they should know if they do choose those candidates, their votes will not count. What about the Democratic ballot? Anything to note there? Yes. The main thing voters might have questions about there is the final option on the list, non-committed delegate. Non-committed delegate. What's that? It's sort of a none of the above option. Voters are basically saying, I don't really like any of these options, so I just want our delegate at the Democratic National Convention to choose whomever they want. And it's important to note the Democratic primary isn't a winner-take-all thing. So depending on how many voters select uncommitted delegate, that's what some percentage of the state's 87 DNC delegates could be. Interesting. The Democrats convene in Chicago in August, but not before the Republicans meet in Milwaukee, by the way. Steph, any final information to leave voters with? Well, just that if you're not a voter yet, you can still register to vote up until Election Day and still participate. That's it. Thanks. Glad to help. CPR Stephanie Rivera on the March 5th presidential primary. Our election guide, by the way, is at CPR.org. As we said, the congressional primary is until June. And for the first time in nearly 20 years, El Paso County, home to Colorado Springs, has an open house seat. The retirement of Republican Representative Doug Lamborn has a lot of hopefuls thinking this might be their chance. KRCC's Andrea Chalfin spoke with our Washington reporter, Caitlin Kim, about the race. So let's start with the district itself. Remind us about where this is and uh, and how the district tends to vote. So it's one of the state's uh, geographically smallest districts. In the last round of redistricting, it lost a few mountain counties and is now basically just Colorado Springs and some surrounding communities like Fountain and Security Widefield. And it's a very conservative district. It's the one Colorado congressional district that has never elected a Democrat. So I guess when it comes to the candidates, then it makes sense to start with the Republicans. There are five candidates in the race already. Let's start with the first one to jump in. That's Dave Williams. Right. Now, this is Dave Williams's second attempt at the seat. He was one of two Republicans that primaried Lamborn in the last election cycle and lost. He's a strong Trump supporter and has made false claims about the 2020 elections. He also served three terms in the state house where he was known as a rabble rouser. Now, what also makes Williams's candidacy particularly interesting is that he's currently the state chair of the Colorado GOP. In fact, he used the party's official email account to announce his run to members, which, you know, raised some eyebrows. Mm. And he's also been controversial in other ways. You know, as chair, he's attacked sitting Republican members of Congress, like Lamborn, for positions and votes they've taken. And he's also gone to court to try to prevent unaffiliated voters from voting in party primaries. So who else is running in the race on the Republican side? 
Well, of the other four, two are pretty well known in Republican circles. One of them is Jeff Crank. He's hosted a talk radio show and has worked for Americans for Prosperity, a conservative group, for years. He was also a former congressional staffer, and like Williams, he ran for the seat previously. He primaried Lamborn in 2006 and 2008 and lost. This time around, I imagine he'll have support from AFP. He also got the endorsement of former Colorado Springs City Councilman Wayne Williams, who many people thought might run for the seat himself. The other candidate people may have heard of is State Senator Bob Gardner. Now, he's reaching the end of his time in the state legislature after almost 16 years and currently serves as assistant minority leader. He has long ties in the district as a legislator and as a lawyer, and he's touting that experience in the race. And who else is in the race? So you've got Joshua Griffin. He's an Army veteran and a former football player for Colorado State. He was originally going to run for House District 21, but decided to try for Congress instead. And lastly is Corey Perella, a self-described performer, author, and teacher who lives outside the district boundary lines. He ran for the state house last cycle and lost. Were there any surprises as to who is or isn't in the race? Like I mentioned, one candidate that we were looking at, Wayne Williams, who was also the former Colorado Secretary of State, opted not to run and endorsed Jeff Crank. Um, In general, I'm a little surprised more people haven't jumped in, given it's been 18 years since this seat has been last open. And there is a deep bench of Republicans in that area who have been waiting for this opportunity. Mm, Yeah, we should say, though, that just because people enter the race, it doesn't mean voters will definitely see them on their ballots, right? That's exactly right. You know, there are two ways for candidates to get on the ballot. One is to petition, which generally costs money and comes with a deadline. That time period to collect signatures has started. The other is to get 30 percent of delegates through the assembly and caucus process, which can take some real grassroots organization to pull off. So who's running on the Democratic side? There are five candidates running thus far. None of them have held elected office before or even run for office. And they run the gamut from educators to former military. It will be tough for any Democratic candidate to break through, but I think a lot will depend on who the Republican nominee is. And while El Paso County has been deep red, I think a lot of people were surprised last year when an unaffiliated candidate, Yemi Mobilade, beat the Republican candidate for mayor of Colorado Springs. So there's some thought that politics are shifting a bit. Congressman Lamborn has had a very conservative voting record, but also he's not considered one of the far right lawmakers. He never joined the Freedom Caucus, for instance. Do you anticipate that whoever wins will follow in in Lamborn's footsteps? You know, honestly, Andrea, I don't know. I think any Republican out of El Paso County will be considered a conservative and have a conservative voting record. But there's a difference between conservative and governing and conservative and willing to bring the House to a standstill, which we've seen a lot of lately under the current Republican control of the House. Lamborn was with leadership for the most part on things like keeping government funded, and he voted for must-pass policies like the annual defense policy bill. And I think, ultimately, that's going to be the question primary voters will have to decide. Caitlin Kim there, our D.C. correspondent, speaking with KRCC's Andrea Chalfin about who's running in CD5. The incumbent Republican Doug Lamborn is not running again. When we come back, when we walk by how our perceptions of homelessness affect our ability to address it. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. 
an informed and engaged community and nation grows stronger with access to credible and accurate reporting. NPR and CPR news teams are tireless in their efforts to deliver a full picture of the facts. Two organizations working together for a more informed public, one better equipped to recognize false claims and disinformation. Philanthropic gifts help CPR News and NPR do this important work. Explore ways to give on the support page at CPR.org. How a community feels about its poorest residents, including those without homes, shapes its housing policy, or lack thereof. That's the takeaway from a new book co-authored by Don Burns. It's titled, When We Walk By, Forgotten Humanity, Broken Systems, and the Role We Can Each Play in Ending Homelessness in America. Burns founded the Center for Housing and Homelessness Research at the University of Denver. He spoke with my colleague Kevin Beatty as Colorado grapples with existing homelessness compounded by the arrival of new immigrants. The part that really hasn't been talked about is what we call relational poverty. And the fact that all of us have, or most of us have very negative attitudes about people experiencing homelessness. And we have, uh, there are all kinds of reasons for that. And we've got to get past that. This is about the stigma that sort of surrounds homelessness. Yeah, yeah. And how do we get rid of some of the negative stereotypes that are so prevalent? Is that a major barrier for true solutions to this issue? Absolutely. Lots of people say, well, we really need to do something to help people experiencing homelessness, but for God's sakes, don't do it in my backyard. And so how do we get past that? Uh, How do we get to some of the underlying fears and address those? I mean, that's a really prescient topic right now. Uh, We were covering a meeting a couple of weeks ago where the mayor presented to uh, residents of Southeast Denver that they were going to move families that were dealing with housing insecurity into a, a hotel. And this is the embassy suites. This yeah. is the embassy suites. Right. And, and, you know, the room was full of people who were, I mean, they were just sort of repeating, this is unsafe. We don't need these criminals and drug addicts coming to our neighborhood. And the city was, you know, the mayor and, and the city council members that were there were sort of repeating over and over again, these are families that need help. You know, these are our neighbors and we need to make sure that they have somewhere to live. And I wonder if you have any advice what to do about this, because yes. you had a room full of people. Like, what, what is the answer? Well, part of the answer is to provide people information about the true nature of homelessness. Most of the folks who are experiencing homelessness are not drug addicts. They're not mentally ill. They're not alcoholic. Um, 40 to 45% of the adult people experiencing homelessness are working. And uh, they're just not making enough money to pay rent because of the high cost of housing and the the shortage of uh, rental units. Um, We have to help people understand that most of their negative stereotypes are based on a lack of information. And we've got to help them understand more about uh, what the true nature of the issue is. You haven't given up on people's ability to empathize. Uh, I guess I'm basically an optimist, but I've been working at this for 40 years, and I don't see a lot of change. Uh, So we've got to keep going. So what's your advice to somebody who is viewing this situation today? 
as far as how they how they might sort of view this situation? I have a list of 10 things that people can do to address homelessness. One of them is get to know people. Uh, I've had long talks with uh, people like Jamie Reif and others. The only way we're going to help people become more comfortable is to create opportunities for one-on-one interactions so folks get to know people. And that becomes really transformative. But without that, the stereotypes continue. Put yourself on the street in downtown Denver. If I'm a, an average person sort of walking through town and I'm, it's, it's less visible today because of the House 1000 program. But, yeah. you know, if I come across an encampment or somebody who's in need, like how, as for, for me as the average citizen who's just walking by, how should I view this situation? What should I do? Should I do anything? Let me answer your question in part with a story. Uh, in 2014, the Lower East Side Mission did a uh, project, research project, and they took five families, large families, and from each family, they selected one person without the rest of the family knowing and dressed that person up as somebody experiencing homelessness, sat them down sort of huddled on corners. And then they asked the other members of the family during the course of a day to periodically walk by these folks. None of the people stopped. None of the people recognized that these were family members. Uh, In one case, it was a spouse. In one case, it was a brother. In one case, it was an aunt. Nobody stopped. Nobody recognized a close family member. And at the end of the day, everybody got together. And these folks were just horrified. But it begins to suggest, which is why we like the title, When We Walk By, we don't want to deal with those people. The other day, I was at a stoplight and there was a guy on the corner a young guy and he had a sign cardboard sign that said i'm not cute enough to get housing please help so i rolled down my window and said i'm sorry i don't have anything to give you but you know i think you are cute enough And he laughed and slapped his knee and said, that's the best thing I've heard in a week. So simply acknowledging his existence was transformative for him. And it was, you know, it's a story that I will always remember. So folks, stop and just say, hi, how you doing? Uh, Have a good day. If you don't want to give somebody money, fine, but at least acknowledge them. I mean, I feel like what you're describing here is that really we should be cognizant of the fact that this problem is at least two-pronged. You have economics, but you also have social input. And I can see how on the individual level we can sort of handle the social side of things. It might just take saying hello and a little bit of kindness. 
for the economic side, is that the role of government to fix? It's the role of all of us, and I'll tell you why. Yes, it's government. Yes, it's the private sector. Yes, it's nonprofits. But the reason the government isn't fixing it is because we as citizens aren't pushing. Unfortunately, the political constituency behind uh, the folks experiencing homelessness pretty limited. And until we really create a massive sort of political campaign to uh, really force the issue, most decision makers aren't going to make major decisions about this. So we have a role to play too. So to that end, I mean, do you feel like our new mayor who ran on this issue and is currently working to address it, um, is a product of uh, a new social capital about this issue, that there is enough people who care and or want to see some sort of solution, that that's the reason that he was able to get on this journey. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about that because uh, I, I'm worried a little bit about it. Tell me. I have to give Mike all kinds of credit for really pushing the issue. You compare his response to the issue with his predecessor and his night and day. You know, he uh, issued the Housing 1000. And he started off by talking about getting 1,000 people into permanent housing. Well, he's not doing that. He's getting 1,000 people into shelter. He's getting them off the streets, but into shelter. And the real problem is that when the point in time comes out, those people are still considered homeless. So the numbers in the point in time are going to look awful. And people are going to say, you know, we're spending $40 million. What are we doing? The problem's getting worse. And they're going to say, Johnston, you really screwed up. And that really worries me. Worries you because he's actually on track to do something right about this, but he yes. could be undermined by his own data. Yes. Yeah. That is Don Burns. He's co-author of When We Walk By, Forgotten Humanity, Broken Systems, and the Role We Can Each Play in Ending Homelessness in America. Burns founded the Center for Housing and Homelessness Research at the University of Denver, speaking there with my colleague, Kevin Beatty. The point in time that Burns mentioned refers to the annual count of people experiencing homelessness in Metro Denver that was done the evening of January 22nd. And Colorado Matters continues into the next half hour with a trip to Old Town Arvada for a special cake in purple and green and gold. I'm Ryan Warner. You're with CPR News and KRCC. A town nestled at the foot of Mount Princeton has an incomparable view of the collegiate peaks, and its name reflects that beautiful view. 
But how do you pronounce its name? Is it Buena Vista? Or is it Buena Vista? And how did that second pronunciation come about anyway? Listen to the next Colorado Wonders. Read the story at CPR.org. You're back with Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Ryan Warner. And I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. February, it's Black History Month and also known as the Month of Love. You know, that little holiday we call Valentine's Day. But for folks like me who grew up in Louisiana and across the South, it's also Mardi Gras season, a time to attend festive balls and street parades. And that also includes the joy of chowing down on king cake. Even if you're not from New Orleans, you probably have come across this delectable dessert that, if you ask me, is one of the sweetest ways to usher in the season of celebration that is Mardi Gras. And yes, it is an entire season of fun, not just one day. If you don't know much about it, here's a report that shares a bit of the history of the king cake. It's a little confusing to out-of-towners. You have to make a baby cake. They gave it their best shot. It's supposed to mean like prosperity for the year ahead. But everyone in Louisiana knows if you get the baby in your piece of king cake. What, what should I do? The next one's on you. And the babies are big business. We order about hundreds of thousands of babies. To find out where the tradition came from, we visited Matt Haynes. He literally wrote the book on king cake. He says the baby's roots go back thousands of years to the ancient Romans. Their big festival was Saturnalia. Tons of drinking, tons of music, people dressed up in colorful costumes, so very similar to our Mardi Gras. They would bake a bean into a special cake. Whoever got it would be king or queen of the festival. Sounds familiar, except... They wouldn't have to bring another cake. Um, rather, they would be sacrificed to the gods. Christians adopted the tradition, and they started eating the cake on Twelfth Night. The custom evolved for hundreds of years. Some people kept the bean, others started using trinkets made of things like ceramic or porcelain. So how did we get to a baby? Enter Mackenzie's, New Orleans' beloved and sadly closed bakery chain. Owner Donald Entringer Sr. knew the beans had a little bit of a design flaw. If you have the bean and you don't want to bring the cake, you just swallow it whole and nobody knew. The story goes that a salesman walked in one day with a briefcase of frozen charlottes. That was a small porcelain doll that people baked into other desserts. Entringer started putting them in his king cakes and the idea spread. And even now, people put their own spin on the tradition. So after all this time, an ancient tradition is now a modern bit of fun. That was a report from WWL, a local television station in my hometown of New Orleans, talking about the origin of the king cake. The good news is that you don't have to go down south to enjoy this little slice of heaven. For well over a decade now, a Colorado bakery has been serving up this sweet treat, and the backstory of how they got started is absolutely heartwarming. We're here at Rhinelander Bakery in Old Town, Arvada. I'm standing here with owner Lauren Maffs. Hi. In your own words, describe what is a king cake. So uh, king cake is a treat made with a sweet yeasted dough, traditionally. It has uh, fillings that can range from cinnamon, which is considered most traditional, to 
all I mean nowadays you can get anything in a king cake mm. it's cream cheese cinnamon almond those are like pretty traditional standard but the main point is it's rolled up inside of the dough and then it's in a circular shape and on top you put icing with three different colors of sugar purple green gold and those are to all represent different things and it all uh, the baby that goes inside of it is really the kind of a yes main part that people get really excited about uh you hide it inside just to yeah. be clear this is a plastic tiny yes. little non-edible of a baby yes. that is put <laughs> inside of the actual cake yes it is um uh, unfortunately nowadays bakers can't directly put the baby inside because it is non-edible but you include it uh you hide it from underneath and whoever gets the piece with the baby is supposed to get the king cake for the next celebration because as you said it is a full season of celebration that starts on epiphany on january 6th and goes through fat tuesday so not just one king cake for the season you're supposed to enjoy many king cakes over the course of time and just whoever gets the baby keeps the party going yes i do remember growing up in new orleans and we always had them on fridays at school That's and fun. every friday you had your king cake and whoever got the baby on that friday got the king cake for the next week so we had lots of king cake. i love that that's so fun <laughs> only in new orleans would you do this at school yeah that's true <laughs> yes but it was a lot of fun when i was growing up the king cakes were mostly just plain and then someone decided, hey, let's add filling. So I've seen Bavarian cream, yeah. I've seen like lemon and cherry. What is the Rhinelander twist on the king cake? So we uh, every, we have our standard kind of mainstay flavors that we'll do. We always have cinnamon, cream cheese, uh, and almonds. And then we strawberry cream cheese has been added now as a mainstay. But we always like to pick at least one or two things to spice it up and make it a little bit new, keep it kind of exciting um, that we'll just offer even for limited times through the season. So uh, this year, since uh, Valentine's Day is so close to Fat Tuesday, we're going to offer a chocolate variety just in store uh, for people to walk in and buy uh, blueberry lemon we decided to add in just for fun mm. so we always like to have the ones people can rely on that they can expect to order and sort of fall in love with and keep getting but then ones that are just exciting and new that they can walk in and purchase too yes and mardi gras this year is february 13th yes it changes every mm -hmm. year so this is what we call an early mardi gras it is yeah it's a uh, always a uh, interesting when because the, then, of course, Ash Wednesday is the next day, and it falls on Valentine's Day this year, which is oh, a little interesting. That. Yeah, of a situation. That's the day you're supposed yeah. to deprive yourself. Yeah, <laughs> it's gonna be a, a late start to Lent for many people, I guess. But uh, yeah, <laughs> yes. this is the second time I've experienced uh, having Ash Wednesday fall on Valentine's Day. It's always kind of it's an interesting marketing conundrum, but. Yeah, and it's actually complicating my decorating plans because yeah. I just. Uh, committed to doing Mardi Gras decorations last year and now it's like I had to pick between Mardi Gras and, and Valentine's Day decorating at my house. <laughs> yeah those colors do not go well together it's a, a clash to I know, mix the like, Valentine's. You have to just pick one and stick with it really. <laughs> and to your point the Mardi Gras colors which are on the king cake yep. are purple, green, and gold. Yes yes uh, gold representing power, purple representing justice, and green representing faith. Now, one thing I am going to tease you about is in New Orleans, we say praline. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So as I mentioned, this is a family-owned German bakery. 
How did you all get into the king cake making business? We actually started uh, when uh, Hurricane Katrina struck the South. Um, as everyone knows, it was 2005. Yeah, huge catastrophe. You know, a lot of uh, er businesses, um, citizens, everyone was affected. And uh, there's a sister city to Arvada uh, in Louisiana called Meridian that had. Uh, so Meridian yes. is the sister city of Arvada, Colorado. Yeah. And so it started out as kind of an outreach between the cities that Arvada was helping them out in some other ways. And so we started uh, making king cakes because of course the bakers there could not operate uh, right after uh, Katrina while they were trying to rebuild. And it started out kind of slow, uh, but we did it as a fundraiser for the Red Cross as well. And at that time we were sending it uh, to the national fund because it was really just fully going towards um, Katrina relief at that time. And um, so we said we would donate a percentage of all of our sales and it started out small we would do you know maybe like 100 king cakes and every year it grew and grew to now where we're expecting to do like 2000 probably this year give or take Whoa. um and now over the years we still donate a percentage to the red cross we typically now will go with our local like colorado wyoming chapter to kind of you know keep the funds more um locally dispersed but it, depending on what's going on in years where there have been much like like very huge national tragedies like katrina uh will shift it that way but yeah we've kept that tradition going and it's just grown massively over the years what kind of reaction do you get when people see king cakes in your display case sometimes very confused looks for sure especially people who are from the south will see it and kind of do a double take like oh okay that looks like a king cake but i'm in a european bakery that's a little strange um but uh people get tend to get very excited especially when they see all the other swag the beads and masks and we get carry the chips that are all the flavors and um the, I had someone come in the other day that was saying that she just moved here from Louisiana and it was the first year that she didn't have a king cake on Epiphany and she was Aww. so sad and she walked in not knowing we even had them and was so excited to get one. And uh, we hear all the time that people say that uh, since they've left the South, it's like the closest they've ever come to getting one that tastes like what they grew up with, which is always very flattering to hear and what I we go for. I think that is key because I have seen some... Uh concoctions that have been confusing to me here in Colorado. Um, but uh, but we do get excited when we feel like it's closest to home. Oh yeah, I have definitely seen some very creative, shall we say, takes on the king cake. We've uh, taken it upon ourselves to, I've gone to, to uh, New Orleans a few times and tried king cake there. We have ordered it in from uh, like Haydell's and some of the really famous places there just to compare and see how theirs are and how they measure up to ours. and. Uh, to, you know, make sure that we're kind of like on the right path of keeping it authentic for people who have that expectation. Well, if it's like I remembered, you all passed the test. <laughs> That's great. Thank you. Happy to hear Yes, it. we're very serious about this. <laughs> so we're here talking about king cakes today because it's officially Mardi Gras season. But this is a family-owned German bakery that has been serving unique sweet treats in Old Town, Arvada for more than 50 years. What do you attribute to this longevity? I would say um, that we've always had a, even so like the owners that we purchased it from when his parents started it, they tried to really um, incorporate the German and like European recipes and traditions they had, but bring it to America and not like fully Americanize it, but you know, make it more appealing to Americans so that they could last and make it. And uh, they just stayed flexible over the years and tried to adapt as the market changed and listen to what customers wanted. And then the owners, um, Maro and Ed Dimmer, that my husband and I took over from, they did the same. They really, especially uh, when Maro 
became uh, when she realized that she was celiac and even like through her battle with cancer uh, they started doing some sugar-free baking a lot of gluten-free baking that was well ahead of its time when that was only like fringe really and the things you could get that were those options really were not very good uh, but because that was what she needed to eat they took a focus on it and made it really excellent uh, to where you couldn't really tell the difference mm-hmm. and just building upon those really strong foundations of the handcrafted made from scratch baking along with all the alternative options and uh, trying to, you know, uh, we also really put a focus on uh, our, uh, like the customer service aspect of when people walk in, they know that they'll be greeted by someone who's friendly and wants to talk to them that know a lot about the products and building the community relationships with not just customers, but organizations as well that we do different uh, fundraisers with yearly to keep the community involvement. And yeah, I did notice that in looking at your website that this King Cakes for a Cause is really just one way that Rhinelander Bakery gives back to the community. I I see you have Bake Out Hunger and Mental Health Awareness Month fundraisers. Yeah, we do. We do. um, So for Bake Out Hunger, we support the um, Arvada Community Table, which is uh, the food bank transformed itself to where they offer a lot more services and they rebranded as the community table. But we have a special line of cupcakes every fall that we roll out to uh, benefit them. And we also collect donations at the uh, point of sales to add to that amount. Um, And then we do for the Jefferson Center for Mental Health every May for Mental Health Awareness Month, we do the same thing. We do a line of cupcakes, but then we also, um, what in asking for donations at the register, it raises a lot of awareness. We've had employees, customers that never knew that that service existed, that went on to take advantage of it. And it really made a big difference for them, which is always really nice to see. Um, And we also do, for Child Abuse Prevention Month, we work with the Ralston House, which a lot of people are pretty familiar with. They do a lot of really good work in Colorado. Back to your offerings, as you mentioned, you do have a wide selection of gluten-free options. Mm-hmm. I have friends, and this has come up a lot lately, that several of my friends are gluten-free, and I'm I'm trying to educate myself <laughs> about what that means in terms of what you can eat and not eat. Yep. And so that's pretty cool to, to give the option, but like you said, to make it not feel like you're giving up the taste. <laughs> yeah, that definitely used to be the case. It was, uh, I've heard it commonly described as cardboard of what a lot of the options used to be like, yes. which is if you're going to make it, you, why make it not good? Otherwise, there's no point eating a piece of cake if it's going to taste terrible just because it's yes. there. So people always ask uh, if we ever get sick of sweets because we're around <laughs> all the time. And the answer is no, honestly, even after like over a decade, because there's so many different sweets to indulge in and kind of categories of it that like, okay, I'm tired of cake, but now I'll just have some strudel or mm. a cinnamon roll or some coffee cake. You know, it's, there's always something that will sound good usually when I'm walking around in the bakery. So well, that sounds amazing. <laughs> and who wouldn't want that job? Yeah, it's great. <laughs> but what I'm loving is that you're so festive. You have on your chef's hat in yeah. the Mardi Gras colors, which oh, again yeah. is purple, green, and gold. And so you really seem to be setting a trend here in Arvada. Tell us about that. Yeah, so we, uh, of course, we've been doing the king cakes for a long time, but now uh, the district as a whole celebrates the season and we're start trying to, it's building each year, but uh, the we ha- there's a brass band that comes and marches the street on Fat Tuesday. People follow behind and they dress mm. up. They, there's beads, it's very festive, very fun. And then it culminates in, uh, pe- after the band is done, uh, many of the restaurants and businesses have different drink specials or food specials. Of course, people can come pick their 
their king cake up and uh, just uh, kind of sprawl through the district and enjoy the festivities. It's uh, like a, a the closest that you can get in this area, definitely to the festive atmosphere of New Orleans for sure. And it's very family friendly as well. It's uh, a really fun event that's been cool to see grow over the years. It's great with the streets closed now down here. There's you can just have open up the whole street, march right through. It's really perfect for that, honestly. And some of like the like a block party. It right? is. <laughs> and we're trying to. We of course decorate our patio uh, up. I uh, love the decor. Yeah. I have seen <laughs> and, it out, um, out front. Awesome. Yeah, we're trying to get the rest of the district to sort of do it too, like they do in the south, where everyone decorates their porch or whatever to keep it festive and you know make the just complete the look of the district. So it really just has that feel on Fat Tuesday. So as they say in New Orleans, let the good times roll, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren, this has been so much fun. Thanks for hosting us today. And now we have to try some king cake. Oh, yes, of course you do. Always. That was Lauren Naffs, owner of Rhinelander Bakery, which has been serving up sweet treats right here in Old Town, Arvada for more than 50 years now. We spoke about how the bakery got started making king cakes, the official cake of Mardi Gras season, for well over a decade as a fundraiser to help those impacted by Hurricanes Katrina and Rita in the early 2000s. And the tradition continues to this day. Well, I'm about to get this slice of cake, so let me sign off right now. This is Colorado Matters on CPR News and KRCC. After the break, Chandra takes us into the bakery's kitchen. The arts. In Colorado, that includes theater, dance, music, visual art, and more. With so much happening, it can be tough to keep up. I'm CPR arts reporter Eden Lane. Every Thursday, I shine a spotlight on what's happening and the art news you want to know across the state. The CO Arts Spotlight. Listen every Thursday during Morning Edition and All Things Considered, and read it on CPR.org. With support from the law firm of Alan Vallone, Wolf, Helfrich, and Factor. My co-host Chandra Thomas Whitfield is speaking with the owner of Rhinelander Bakery in Old Town, Arvada, Lauren Nafts. They started making traditional king cakes nearly 20 years ago to help people recovering from Hurricane Katrina. We're standing here in front of this delectable selection of king cakes. So Lauren, can you tell us about that? Yes, so we have uh, several different flavors we like to offer so someone can, everyone can find something they like. We have cinnamon, which is considered most traditional by most people. Absolutely. Uh, we have cream cheese, strawberry cream cheese, almond. Uh, we have a lemon poppy seed and a blueberry lemon we're making this year. And we do also have the little uh, more like French style galettes that are with the sweet almond filling. It doesn't have the sugar on it, but it's uh, like a little individual option. And then we make, uh, we call them Prince Cakes. We actually started them during uh, COVID. That's so cute. When people, yeah, cakes, it's like so. an insert, like an individual serving size one, but they really got popular. Um, and it comes with a bead and a little baby still, but it's like a little if you like want if you're craving some king cake during the season, but maybe don't need like the whole quarter sheet. You can yes. just pop in and grab one of those and any of the flavors anytime. That's absolutely adorable. Yeah. It almost looks like a little mini cake. Yeah. And then um, the baby's on top. You have a bead. It's yep. really fun. Yeah, it's all the same uh, fillings and dough as well. So it's really the just a little flavor of the king cake. And the presentation of your cakes is amazing. Thank you. You've got the purple, green, and gold beads. 
You got the color coordinated sugar yes. on top, and the aroma in here is heavenly. That's why we bake while we're open all day. We don't have bakers coming in at the crack of dawn because the smells would be wasted on the empty streets. It's nice to just let <laughs> let it the smells go out uh, beyond. And you are totally festive with your Mardi Gras colored chef's hat. Yeah. And then you also have beads over here oh, and yeah. all kinds of masks. Like, so you really get into the spirit. Oh, yeah, because if you're going to get the king cake, you really need you need beads, you need a mask, you need all the fun accessories to go with it because it's way more fun eating king cake when you're also looking <laughs> festive and feeling festive. So Yeah, I'm impressed. And you even have king cake beads. That's amazing. Yes. Oh, yeah. I always, one of my favorite things to do uh, around Christmas time is uh, sit down and order all of the fancy beads that we're going to have in the store. It's always a little different variety of what I'm able to get, but uh, it's very, very festive in here and you all must win for best outdoor decorations. You have a very <laughs> festive uh, front window display. I think if you're going to decorate for Mardi Gras, you have to really go big or go home because just a little <laughs> bit of Mardi Gras decor looks pretty lame. It's got to be... It's got to be over the, the top. Over, yeah, over the top is the only way to go for sure. If you have a contest right now, if you want to guess how many babies are in the jar, whoever has the closest guess wins a free king cake that we're going to announce. Oh my gosh. Oh, and gosh. I love Mardi Gras. Yeah, it was so fun. So am I allowed to touch it? I just, I'm just going to start counting. Yes, yeah, yeah. You can totally, people are allowed. You can totally touch it. It's cool. Yep, that's allowed. <laughs> okay, great. You have a strategy here to count the babies? You know, just pick a number and then pick a few higher than that. That's really all. <laughs> I don't know. Take a wild guess. Yeah. You know, there have been a few lucky moments in my life and hopefully this is one of them. <laughs> Winner freaking cake. I I love Mardi Gras, but really I only know it through co-workers that lived in Louisiana, so. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I should ask you your name. Oh, Annie Benyon. And where do you live? I actually live in Utah. We're here to visit. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> all this way, hopefully for a king cake, but... we're sending someone back. <laughs> <laughs> team make one of these king cakes. Oh yeah, absolutely. We're making some right now. Yeah. Ooh, so we see some uh, king cakes in the making here. Yes. I've got some strawberry cream cheese ones that are about to get their sugar and their icing on them, which is uh, most people's uh, favorite part and definitely what visually cues it as a king cake. Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever seen a, a king cake in progress. <laughs> oh, fun. Behind the scenes. So we've got, of course, the three colors of sugar. You need green, purple, and gold, or it is not really a king cake. And then to make all of that stick to the king cake, you need some icing. So you have these fresh rings of dough right now. Yes, yeah. And now you are slathering white icing yeah on, on so we, and this is something that every year we train pretty much everyone on because we make so many of them it's like all hands on deck but we put the icing on in the ring add the sugar the purple for justice green for faith and then gold for power and you want to just have it nice even sections on there so you can see all the colors 
Then you move on to the next one. You get them all decorated, adds a little extra sweetness to the cake. No one's looking for a lightly sugared king cake. That's, <laughs> you're getting the wrong treat if you're looking for that. Yeah, you sprinkle it on there and sets in with the icing, kind of melds with the icing, get a nice little drip down the side. Looks very delicious and festive. We buy them in eight pound boxes, the sugars. Most people are getting two, four ounces, something like that in those little shaker containers. But we would go through that pretty quickly if we were buying it in that quantity. So we have to get big cases of it. The unfortunate thing uh, that sometimes happens when you're making them is almost always, at least once a year, when you're making a lot of them and you're not paying enough attention, you'll accidentally dunk the purple or the green sugar back into the yellow sugar buckets uh -oh. and you have a <laughs> speckled yellow. It's always really... Sounds problematic. It's a little sad, yeah. It's, I've seen king cakes before where the colors are all just mixed together and that just does not look right. Yeah, it's, exactly. That is not um, how it's supposed to be. And you got like this little silver little scooper here that yep. you're sprinkling the sugar on with. It's, it's the perfect size. It's a little mini scoop. Holds enough sugar to get it all on there. We, uh, over the years, have developed a pretty good tag team system, especially on Fat Tuesday and even on, uh, like, Lundi Gras. We tend to, uh, have to sell them like they'll be coming out of the oven and sold like almost immediately people will just wait for them when we start to really go through our stock and we'll set up kind of a conveyor belt of people just putting on the glaze putting on the sugar getting the beads getting it all wrapped and then getting out to the customer so that people aren't waiting too long to get to their celebrations but we do recommend ordering them in advance uh, we have them available and to walk in and purchase and we try to keep that in stock through the season but definitely by like fat tuesday it's getting a little risky especially if you want a particular flavor if you haven't ordered it in advance and when you mentioned that you all make about two thousand cakes mm -hmm. is that all physically here Yes. Not mail order. Yeah, no, we, years ago we did do shipping. Uh, it's grew to a point where that was just unmanageable and got to where we weren't able to serve the customers in the store as well because of it. And that's really our focus is creating the experience here in the shop. So we had to unfortunately drop the shipping part to just focus on uh, in-store sales, but we produce it all right here in the, this is our only location. So do it all start to finish here in this building. Well, there you have it. I'm seeing a finished, beautiful, festive king cake right in front of me. Thanks, Lauren. Yeah, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Give me something good to eat. Rich and true is what I treat. Ice and sweet will tempt the soul. Mardi Gras colors, green, purple, gold. Chandra Thomas Whitfield spoke with Lauren Nafts. She owns Rhinelander Bakery in Old Town, Arvada, which makes king cakes for Mardi Gras. Arvada's sister city in Louisiana is Meridian. On Tuesday evening, there's a parade through Old Town led by the Gorilla Fanfare Brass Band featuring all local musicians. And that is Colorado Matters for today, with thanks to a team qui laisse les bons temps rouler. Tyler Bender. Carl Bielek. Anthony Cotton. Pete Kramer. Molly Cruz. 
Andrea Dukakis, Rachel Estabrook, Michelle Fulcher, Matt Hers, Tom Hess, Michael Hughes, Chris Ketchum, Pedro Lumbraño, Shane Rumsey, Chandra Thomas Whitfield, and I'm Brian Warner, CPR News and KRCC. The golden baby will make you a king. The night is yours to do your thing.